Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. It's already pressed it. So um, it's happening right now. We're already live. What's up, guys? Uh-oh. Hi. Um, hey, Hi. Jonathan. Hi. Megan. Brian. And our special guest, Brad, is back. Hey, Brad. Hi, everybody. Hi, friends. Hey, Brad. Hi, Brad. Good to see you, man. What, what, a, what an amazing treat. We are, um, we are coming at you to go deep into 1985 when... It's when Brad and I went on tour for the first time, so we're gonna <laughs> we have some some memories to share from '85. Um, Brad, it's good to have you back. Brad, how is life? We we talk about our our lives a lot, but what's going on with you? Yeah, you and I know each other's lives pretty well, but um, <laughs> nothing, man. Just I'm at the office. I'm doing the pod from the office, like a like a true adult. That is so great. 
It's good yeah. to see you. Um, Brian, how are you doing? Yeah. Welcome back. It's been a, it's been a week. It's been a week or so. It's been a week or so. Um, I'm doing well. It's very snowy here in Colorado. We are celebrating my daughter's like. second birthday, which is just yes, insane. Happy birthday. Um, nice. happy birthday to her. And I listened to a lot of fish today, which yep. was very different from other days. <laughs> That's, that is fair. All right. Well, Jonathan and Megan, feel free to update us on how you're doing as well. I think the people hear from us the most, but. I'm great. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad Brad's here. I'm glad they're all here. This is so nice. Yeah. And I also am great. And I also listened to a lot of fish today, which is not common anymore these days. But <laughs> well, but that's okay. Well, here we are. Here we are. So, okay. So we're going to talk about this 103085 show, and we're rolling through 40 for 40. We are going to be. I thought we were on our episode three, but we're actually on, <laughs> we're on episode four, right? No, we're on we're episode, episode three. Three. No, it's three. Okay. Well, I see well, things are still pretty organized around here. Yeah, you're rolling <laughs> faster than we are, RJ. I think it's more important. things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> Can I just note that since our la- my last episode talking about forty for forty, I've not only been conceived, but I've also been born, and I'm now. A nine-month-old. Uh, a long no, week. eight-month-old. It's been a long week. Uh, a lot has I'm, happened. I'm hanging out at home in Chicago Bears onesies, watching a 15-1 and team that's going to win the Super Bowl. Ooh. Just a really, really good life while fish is good memories of that. be fish. Yeah. I had great memories of it. If you want me to rank every game of the season, you got to listen to our bonus, bonus content. <laughs> I'm not available to film that episode. <laughs> that's that's so, the yeah. uh, content that you, Brian pays you to listen to. Exactly. I, I take everything that I get and I just pay you guys to listen to it. It's amazing. Now, wait, you're nine months old in October 30th, 1985? Something around that. I don't okay. know. I was born in March of 85. So okay. what, am I like seven or eight months old? I don't mm-hmm. know. What is time? I was You're 11. 11. You're 11. I think 11. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I was eight. So I have really no excuses for missing this show. Sorry. No. no. I don't apologize. Would have been there. Yeah. Well, as we it's learned recently, your, your first concert was the Grateful Dead like seven years later, which is just insane yeah. to me. But, um, Six years later. Your guys' memories of the 80s are my memories of the 90s. But anyway, we're getting off track here. Mm-hmm. RJ, bring us bring us right the ship here. Well, please. no, we're, we, we never were on track, so that's good. Um, <laughs> is there a track? <laughs> there is no track. Brad and I were six, I guess, um, right. in 85. So, all right. So that's, now that we've established how old we were. Ten, nine, nine years and 363 days away from our first show. You could feel it. Wow, good yeah. That's awesome. That's you could, you could like taste the grilled cheese sandwiches coming from like the right. Yep. Wow. Um, okay. So we're at we're at Hunts. Um, and I guess so, Brian, do you do you have any details on like so where Hunts was before before Nectars, right? Um, and they seem pretty excited to be at Hunts. I think this was maybe their fifth show at Hunts. They they played there, started playing there in 85 and they seem to be pretty psyched to be there. I, I think this was like a step up from the, from the dorm rooms. 
Yeah, you get the sense this is this is their fourth show of 18. Their last one will be just over two years later, 11, 19, 87. And it's kind of the venue that, to your point, they just keep kind of coming back to as they're doing small tours and small runs throughout the Northeast. At this point, they're really only playing in Vermont. Um, Trey makes a comment at some point during the show how great it is to be at Hunt's and be back on planet earth after playing Goddard college the week prior, <laughs> which just like gives you the sense that like, while these guys are going to school at Goddard, they kind of realize like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> like we need Burlington to like grow this band in any sort of way, but also like all of our creative juices are flowing at Goddard college. Well, um, isn't that the show where they took too much acid and couldn't play? Yeah. I think that's also that's what, what he's what referring to. The, mm-hmm. the 26th. Yeah. yeah. They're a little, um, unmoored i think uh in that particular night but yes i think it goddard uh, at large as you described brian is that's true too uh, yeah um <laughs> one thing just of note i was doing some research on the fishonian site huge shout out um we've, we've had them on uh in the past they're awesome um so hunts was gutted in 2003 and renovated in 2014 after a huge fire in 2003 uh it became shananas in the late 80s so it was that until 2003 bb king roy orbison greg ullman pat metheny taj mahal and jerry lee lewis all played on the stage at hunts alongside of fish i don't know who was more honored to be playing there fish or those notable musicians at the time but it's a pretty cool thing for them to pass through those ranks. I, I got to say, I think the term alongside implies something maybe a little different from what went down. Um, uh, <laughs> just. You mean they weren't sharing the stage? They weren't yeah. sharing the stage, yeah. but like they yeah. grace the same stage. That's a pretty cool yes. thing. That That is cool. And it's a notable thing for fish early on in their career. So according to the internet, um, it was a 300 300 person venue and it was actually called RW Hunt Mill and Mining Company but people just called it Hunts. Um mm. but 3 300 and I guess like Nectar's wasn't that isn't that much different capacity wise but like I think Nectar's just gave them the presidency so they just started playing there became more of a destination. But now we know where we are. Um they, suddenly we have a bunch of like originals for the first time. Yeah, Which RJ, can cool. you talk a little bit about what was happening with them? Like, since yeah, please. the last episode that we talked about. So I they played those four shows in 1984 that we know of. Jonathan, I'm going to be a stickler this week. And we have 28 known shows in 1985. I'm saying that so Jonathan doesn't get mad at me because we had a lively <laughs> debate last week about if there are other shows we don't know about. So, Jonathan, I'm on your team this week, okay? All right. And um, a, a lot's happened the since then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but a lot's happened since then. Like Paige invites them to play at Spring Fest at Goddard. And then he sits in in May, which is a pretty big deal. He plays like during parts of the third set. And then that summer, they're kind of on hiatus again. Will Trey and Fish go to Europe? And Trey almost drowns in Europe and writes Harry Hood, which is going to be important later on in our discussion. And Paige moves to Burlington while Trey and Fish are in Europe. And Gordon teaches him whole fish repertoire and so when they come back they sneak him in the band so it's kind of a big deal (laughs) and they kind of force him into the band gordon does which i think is just genius i love that Mm -hmm. it's a good part of the story mike is 
such significant moments in fish history in the weirdest of ways. Like forcing a band member on fish feels very aggressive. Like especially to force someone on Trey, you would imagine Trey would be the one to be like, no, 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 this guy's playing with us. You guys, you guys are cool with that, right? Everyone's okay with that, right? You guys are okay. But like for Mike to take the lead on that and be like, he's playing with us. And then you think about like 1997 and the sound that like comes out just out of Mike Gordon, like 15, 12, 15 years later. I don't know. It's it. He's, his presence is made in such odd ways throughout the entire history of this band. I think the word yeah. odd can be underlined a few times. Yeah. He's so and, uh, weird, so but he's so important. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. But he likes it. He likes it that way for sure. Oh yeah. He he wants it. So. Yeah. 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 I like ran into him a few times when we were in Europe and every time I met him, it was so weird. Like he would just be so odd and not normal at all. Like everyone else you'd run into them and they'd be, gracious and cool and he would just be like oh, hey, hey like so <laughs> odd and not not normal but that's kind of his mystique right it's the cactus that's mike that's it mm-hmm. definitely yeah. so so that was pretty so the big thing that happened since we talked last week is that we have a new band member yeah yeah which is, and which this is pretty is cool like weird time right when there's like jeff and Paige in the band yeah well they're a two yeah. guitar band fish is and always will be a two guitar band right that's what I'm learning in these past three weeks. I feel like that is in my notes actually for later. Yeah, we will talk. About I feel that. like when Trey does the intro and he says like, welcome to Han Swordfish," he sounds like really excited, like a little giddy that they're, I think Paige coming in the band probably like really gave them another, another step in the right direction. You know, it feels like, it feels like they're entering a different, different phase. This yeah. I got to wonder. Yeah. I've got to wonder you know, just at this point in their history, because if you listen to this show, Hood and Slave, most notably up front from just an original standpoint, the sound is so fleshed out with the keyboards added into it. And if you took those keyboards out and it's just Trey and Jeff adding those textures, I don't think it's the same band. Um, Not to jump ahead too far, but like to me, the musical highlight of the show, the Skippy the Wonder Mouse jam, Mm-hmm. Page is just stunning throughout that. And if you don't have him at that point in time, you just don't add this el- other element of fish that makes them so special. It's true. Yeah. I mean, if you want to, I, I don't know if we're talking about the show, but it's, he's drowned out in the beginning. Like you mentioned, the hood, he's not even, you can't really hear him. And you think it's still just mm. four of them, meaning, you know, three plus Jeff. And then, you know, during the possum, I think, or maybe, um, the song before you start you're like oh there there is page and you can hear him on like his little dink donk keyboard you know <laughs> that's the official term for it the dink donk like back in the day was like my first keyboard or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds pretty it sounds pretty pretty minute like small yeah. in that comparatively in now especially like when you when you hear those beautiful segues that he fills during hood um with those amazing machines he has now and instruments yeah yeah for sure yeah i was listening to an 87 hood today and it sounds totally different like it almost sounds like i mean maybe he did upgrade and change his rig in between but it definitely sounds much fuller than it than it did in this this show i agree i couldn't like really hear i sort of forgot that he was part of the band and, until some certain part of the show and i was like oh yeah that you can hear him but it's it's kind of inconsistent but he's only been yeah. here for like a month right 
Right, and he and Jeff are kind of um, I, I, there's a little push and pull over whose yeah. parts are what, and you know, sometimes Jeff is more to the fore, sometimes Paige is more to the fore, but you know, there's there's really still only kind of four parts to a lot of these songs. Um, yeah, you get the sense that Trey has not really started the heavy compositions that are coming a year from now when he starts writing parts of yeah. Fluffhead, mm-hmm. when he starts writing You Enjoy Myself, um, when he starts taking compositional lessons, even parts of Hood, as we'll get into, they're kind of just like, uh, it's 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 just like a, a schmear of sound until they get to the Hood <laughs> jam. Like it doesn't fully sound like defined segments of Harry Hood as we would get used to later as they build up towards that beautiful bliss segment. Yeah, well, we got a good schmear. We got to talk about the the Hood. I mean, there was is it Mike who has that like space kind of spacey effect during Hood? I know what is that? It's so cool. It's very like it's very hard to hear but when you hear it it's like it sounds like they're it's like a you know a, a first step yeah it's My that section right pedal. before like thank you mr minor that that section is like pretty funky and spacey mm-hmm. i don't know who's making it it's got to yeah, be mike I I, that answer I, let's just say it's mike um what yeah, do you guys think of like, this it's super like proggy and weird i love it i mean i actually think when I was listening to this hood, it was like the first one out of these three shows that we've listened to so far. When I think I texted you all, I was getting a little emotional because it sounds like fish. You know, it sounds like the band that we love and you can hear it. Even the banter and the way that they're talking throughout the show and the way that they're kind of showing their personality and making jokes just felt like this is the band that we will all fall in love with. And I feel like you can hear it in this hairy hood. It's, I mean, Trey sounds beautiful. The solo is gorgeous. Yeah, this is, you know, of all the shows that we've talked about here to this point, this is kind of the start of the band. Um, yeah. Where you have Paige, who's not going to leave the band. Jeff is going to be, uh, he's going to leave the band within the next six months. 1986 is going to start to establish some foundational aspects of who Fish will be for the next basically through 1.0 from both a song selection standpoint from an aspect of shows like Halloween are going to be really, really big events for the band. They're going to start to tour a little bit outside of Vermont and by 87, 88, 89, like a a much more professional aspect of the band is taking shape. I think it's also notable, like we're talking about 1030, 85, Jonathan and I talked uh, during Undermine season one about 112385. That's going to be a very big show for the band in terms of what they do from an improvisational standpoint. So we're just at a point where like a lot of elements of fish are starting to come together. And to hear a song like Hood, I mean, this is like the first tweezer, the first You Enjoy Myself, the first Down with Disease. Like this is just one of those songs that when it debuts, it's going to push fish into another stage of their career and it's going to really set another foundational piece of what is going to be important about this band going forward they're not really going to open sets or shows with harry hood much going forward it's going to transition to be kind of like the closing chapter of a show but it's just it's it's that stamp of of one of the things that makes them so unique and so you know makes listeners so eager to come back to them on a regular basis Yeah, it's crazy. Like all the things that have to happen for this to end up where we are 40 years later or whatever, you know, with 
them finding Paige or Paige finding them and and Trey starting to write these songs. I mean, it's 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 pretty wild to think about because who knows? I mean, you know, with billions of people and in, in on Earth, like it's just maybe they would have found another page. Maybe they like yeah. I don't know, but it's pretty crazy that that all came together like in the same whatever year or something um, to really become like what it is. It's magic. What it would be the whole time, it re- you know. It really reminds me of. I mean. It's sort of adjacent to the five sixteen ninety five show from Lowell at Voters for Choice mm. Concert, where there was one mm. set and there was a bunch of debuts, and among those debuts was Free, and I think mm. that set the those songs, especially Free, kind of set set a tone for a new fish going forward in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. I get that kind of here, especially with Page, his first recorded show, or, or you know, um, whatever it is, uh, and they're very excited. They're very excited about the lyrics of hood, which I thought is the first time, probably the only time that they've ever been excited about, you know, the <laughs> lyrics. Really um, let us know the backstory in this. One. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that so great. Backstory explainer yeah. is, is kind of hilarious. And yeah. it's like he so also- fitting, right? It's so who they are. Like they take this ridiculous story and it's silly and playful. And then they have this like gorgeous music, musical segment after like that's, quintessential fish like that's what fish does best so totally like yeah. them do mike that makes a joke the first time. Sorry. yeah I'm, is it mike yeah. who makes it i couldn't tell yeah yeah about the, the, um, pay them yeah. sponsorship yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like they're gonna pay us to play it i just know it <laughs> the banter in this show is awesome they talk so much it's so fun harry hood from burlington to greece really just like gives you the sense of it's, it's hood <laughs> And it's this life-changing experience on the shores of Greece. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. You know, it's it's amazing that they never had a hood, a hood dairy like anything. You know, weird. you'd have thought yeah. like over time they would have done that. Um, <laughs> One I think of, they uh, just a friend got of, over the idea of it. Just they didn't need it by the time it. They by didn't the time. Hood Dairy needed them. Fish didn't. Yeah, they, they didn't want to turn off all those conservative milk drinkers, right? <laughs> <laughs> <With> this hippie. <laughs> well, Brad and yeah. I have a friend whose dad used to work at for the for the Hood Dairy Empire. So we, sh- you know, if we could only go back in time, we could have planted this planted this with them. But um, Paul was the delivery right. guy or, or the sales rep yeah. or something. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. yeah. It's incredibly northeast. Um, so. The I don't know this this probably incomplete as it notes on Fishnet we don't really know but um, what else did you guys think of that first you know with Doglog and Possum Slave Sneak and Sally what what other notes do you guys have on the on the music I have some notes on the songs that Jeff sings the two covers but I'll, I'll wait on that so I believe that Jeff is still singing on Possum here. Yeah. And yeah, it it sounds it sounds way more like CCR to me than this like that like fish boogie that you'll get when Mike starts singing it and they kind of adjust yeah. just the delivery yeah, the of it. It's, groove it's a different sound. quite yeah, it isn't quite what it settles into in the post Jeff era. Um yeah. it's Slower. a little more of that well, it's closer to the swamp boogie, the the Skinner swamp yeah. boogie. 
uh, mm. tune, which, which is uh, an interesting like idea of, of like fish having songs like that over the next 40 years. Like the, with Jeff still being in the band, you still get this weird, what if of what if they, they were a two guitar band, like how that would impact them. Um, Sally, I have some notes on because I thought this sneaking Sally was really interesting. Mainly like you just hear Mike and the importance of Mike from the jump of the band, like the way that he connects musical phrases and connects lines in the song with these just very subtle, like three note bass grooves. There's just like an inherent groove to how Mike plays that you hear from the start. It's never something he learned. It's not something he's uncomfortable with. Like it's a part of what makes fish danceable from the start. You hear Trey say at the top of the show, like, I hope you all came prepared for dancing. Yeah. And like, if you look at pictures of fish in the eighties, you're like, like young people are not going to those guys concerts like to get <laughs> down. Like that's just like, it's just kind of ridiculous, but like they have Mike Gordon who knows how to groove from the very beginning and you hear it throughout the sneak and Sally much yeah, better totally than agree. the cover of I wish I will say. Yeah. I think this like really hints at the jam band that, or the, sorry, the dance band that they're going to become, you know, I feel like you can feel them wanting to make people dance in a way that actually works. And this has a pretty good vocal jam. And I'm saying that as someone who hates vocal jams, but they do a pretty good <laughs> job of it. It's not that bad considering, but I wanted to talk about the slave quickly because it's actually really gorgeous. And I just mm -hmm. love listening to it and thinking about what the song would have been like to hear in a really small bar, because it, this song is just like so epic. And, you know, when you think of like slave to the traffic light, you have these like sweeping orchestral moments in like MSG or like on like a starry lawn somewhere. And then here it is just in its like humble beginnings in this little bar. And it's, it's tremendous. It's so cool to hear it played like this and think about where they were. And you hear Trey practicing, the buildup chords after the song is over. Like there, like oh, there's a really? moment. Of like I didn't the, see that. Hear that. Yeah. Just like very quietly. I think that they were talking and like, you just hear him play like the, bum, 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 like right in the background, almost to be like, you could have gotten that better. Like, here's how we do it next time type of thing, you know? Um, Cause like cool. that delivery was so big, but you also hear them tuning up before the show. Like there's just little elements of the show that, it's clear they don't have anyone working for them at this point in time. They, the, their actual presentation is so much shaggier than it would become. Pardon us while we uh, try to tune, Trey says at one point. Um, yeah, it doesn't which, feel like I'll get some money. Maybe which, if I make some money, I can get some new strings or something at some point. <laughs> it's just light years from the band that we know. But, mm -hmm. you know, the, again, the, the, Seeds are there. Dog log sounds a little like dog log. What a great little and ridiculous tune. And it's always been uh, great and ridiculous. I just love hearing it right there in the number two slot. Slave is beautiful. Possum is weird. And Steak and Sally is a good ass groove. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to, I know RJ, you said you had some notes on the covers. I'm going to just jump into that for a second and say that, while I am a massive Stevie Wonder fan, I am not a massive fan of this band performing I Wish. Uh, I think the intent yeah. is there, and that's respectable. Not appropriate. Um, but I, I don't know about that. But, um, yeah, I don't... I don't think he should be it. singing about being a nappy-headed boy. I just don't, but... Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> it was the 80s. You could get away with a lot of stuff back then. Yeah, yeah. Fair-ish. 
It's they're really bad. Both of those covers are just really bad. I think is the main thing. Like they're, <laughs> it's like sounds like kind of like Jeff isn't really that into it. It just sounds like the whole band isn't really into those songs either of them. I mean, the revival like two guitar thing is cool, but I like I, I was wondering while I was thinking, listening to it, like is he already like on his way out? <laughs> you know, because it almost sounds like the energy right. of the show kind of like go dips a little bit during those two songs and then it kind of picks back up but i maybe i'm just thinking too much into it. retrospect it's like well it makes sense that he didn't stick around because it is kind of the weaker part of the show i do like the two guitar thing in revival i i do too enjoy the singing part of it too much sorry jeff no much love i, I think but. I think to the question of if Jeff was on his way out, like, you know, one of the famous comments was that he he didn't like when Trey brought you enjoy myself to the table. And obviously he was going through his own personal changes and evolution that that impacted his decision. But like, if you think about this show, it's this balance between Hood and Skippy the Wonder Mouse, at least from the set that we have here, these songs that are starting to be more com- complexly composed. Um, they're having longer jam segments that have more of like a prog influence than like an overt kind of dead influence that we heard in the first two shows. And then you have these like blues songs and cover songs in the middle. And I wonder if Jeff was more into, let's just get up on stage and play some covers, play some easy blues songs. We'll shred. And meanwhile, Trey is starting to introduce songs that are just going to completely push him away from the band at that point. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, the stuff Trey was bringing was weird. You know, it was nothing like what was being done anywhere. So it probably turned him off. I get it. Do you guys want to know the top three songs of this week in 1985 to like Yes. Compared yep. to what Fish is playing? Yeah. Absolutely. We've been waiting agree, for but... you to bring them up, Brian. Just waiting. I want John. I'm just gonna one one of three. Can you can you yeah, can you can you guess any of like I, I think you could get one if you thought really hard. I don't know. I didn't do any research on this area because you know, I do probably know the songs, but I, I don't know what was hot in October versus, versus the spring or whatever. So is there like a Tina just, Turner song on there? There's not a Tina Ooh, Turner, I but so. I will I will just say <laughs> that two of these songs have been covered by a young jam band that minds this era. I won't say their name because this is a fish podcast, though. Uh, oh, Take yeah. on Me by Aha. Mm. Oh, God, I love oh, that song. Yeah. The Miami Vice theme. <laughs> by Gloria Stefan and the Miami Solution. God, they're sick. And Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears. Now, we talked about Head Over Heels or uh, Tears for Fears last week because the album had just come out late in right. 1984. Still, but it took the entire year for <laughs> the multiple singles, which were all hits, to really resonate. And it's I mean, a banger just, album. It is a banger album. Um, it's a glorious the time chair. for pop music. There's, I mean, it's simple. No, mid eighties. Oh, just, just gate. I mean, Fish. If they had had a synthesizer and gated drums at this point in time, think mm. about the MTV <laughs> possibilities. Those oh, like, yeah. big chunky blues. Shoes that they used to wear. Oh yeah. Straight to the top. Straight to the top. <laughs> so okay, here's a. Back to the Future came out three months before this, and there's no. There, none of those songs are are in the top five. It's probably I mean, later because it's like isn't aren't things like delayed then? They weren't like previewed before, right? 
Like yeah. see no, Huey. just you know, maybe. I I don't think Huey Lewis hits uh, had the staying power in the charts. You you better watch it yourself. Yeah, he was yeah. so True. big. I feel like he's all <laughs> he, people. He kept them me. coming, but like you know, these weren't sixteen week hits. These were like three week hits, four week hits. Incredible. Fair. Yeah. Lewis. Fair. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm just I just thought we were going to be talking about Back to the Future today. That's what I prepped for. So <laughs> I guess that was it. Oh, it's your kids, Marty. If you want. Tell us your three favorite scenes from Back to the Future. Your table is yours. <laughs> well, I mean, the the, fir- the the first scene with the guitar, you know, <gasps> we t- when he turns oh, it up okay. and it blows him. I mean, that's just great. You know, I mean, the the best scene is is obviously the climax of the movie when when Marty punches Biff. You know, that's just that's, it's just such a yeah. the car that's in the too. car. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, the car. It's yeah. It, just Iconic. great, just great. Um, the, Generational just, anger pent up over you know, and then reversed. It's amazing. Yeah the 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 weirdest part is when he you know when he's in his mom's bedroom and she's like really attracted so to him that's very weird still even after watching it like a hundred times but <laughs> it never gets less weird yeah 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 but what are, so many scenes away. like it's that your that cousin like, marvin marvin yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah that's that's a good a very good one very very good good point jonathan so good you are I, one of my favorite lines is you want a tab you got to buy something yeah, you get back to the diner. And she just jumps ship. <laughs> yeah, all right. all right. I could do this all, all right. day. Yeah, this is that's our other podcast, probably. Um, all right. So then, after that kind of drop off, then they 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 play alumni letter to Jimmy Page, alumni blues, which is which is really fun. And then prep school hippie. Prep school hippie has only been played five times. Last time in 1987, um, but the, there's like a jam in the middle there that's that's really cool, and I. I've listened yeah. probably to whatever ones are available, but maybe not in a while. And that was kind of a surprise to me. It was kind of cool to go back to. I kind of get yeah, like why they don't jam. I kind of get why go they ahead, don't man. play this song anymore. And I kind of get why like this or like Dear Mrs. Reagan are probably not coming back. Lushington as well. As much as I want them to. But I think like musically, there's something to be found in Prep School Hippie that could just be reworked as like an instrumental. I don't know. It's really like you can hear the seedlings of where Trey's going to go compositionally within this song. Lyrically, it's kind of ridiculous. Skippy the Wonder Mouse, the same. Obviously, this is going to turn into McGrupp, but the jam that's coming off of Skippy the Wonder Mouse is my favorite part of this overall set. And I would say my favorite part that we've listened to of the three shows that we've done of fish thus far in their 40th anniversary recap. Like it's, it's the moment where you hear kind of the surprise. This is what happens with improvisation that will just keep me coming back. We got to give Dina a lot of credit um, with Skippy, the wonder mouse, you know, he wrote it, Trey wrote it with his mom and her profession and influence on the band. Um, I think has, has never stopped. And that's just with kind of fun, goofy, sometimes childish lyrics and yeah a lot of them come from tom or um others but i think it's it's this is we're 20 shows into this band right 20 some shows in and uh it's been there from the start so people who complain about the lyrics or or you know the writing just 
that maybe this isn't for them. They can go somewhere else. <laughs> also like yeah. her, well, her interest in like Broadway and like her work on, mm-hmm. didn't she work on Sesame street as well? Like there's, there's mm-hmm. a, educational aspect in a sense like but also like a lightheartedness and there's a theatrical element to her influence on trey and you really hear it throughout like the building of um like the game hinge universe and what that's going to become for the band i think that's a really good point and especially like, at this point or like ghosts of, ghost of the forest like that would never yeah. have happened if trey didn't have that kind of broadway influence all yeah. of the uh all of the gags of the 3.0 era you know are really those are all really like an ode broadway to broadway over the years yeah, yeah. 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 We can all just point right back to her for that stuff, which is great. Um, uh, well, I just want to, can I just highlight this comment from Ryan? Cause Ryan, maybe it's good that you missed that part of the discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we didn't feel the RJ same. hated it, Ryan. Um, he's well, mad I, that it happened and he wants it to be redacted from all the tapes. I just want to say in my notes, <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's kind of weird that they haven't played the Allman Brothers that much throughout their career. Like they sound good playing the music here, but yes, they don't have any business singing any Allman Brothers songs. So I guess <laughs> it's good that they like weave Mountain Jam into like every 10 down with diseases. Yeah. There you go. I There's just your in my notes that this was the beginning of Trey's Love and Light days. So it was there from the beginning, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It um their their harmonies just weren't there. And it's it's probably because they're young and they were in this little bar with no one helping them with sound, you know? Their harmonies just yeah. weren't there, but they get there and they could they could do it now. But yeah, I don't think anybody's got any business playing Dwayne Almond other than Dwayne Almond, honestly. Well, also, you know, the Almond Brothers band is a two guitar band and and the keyboard is an important role that you can't just like, oh, well, the page can play the guitar part because he's got his own job uh, in an Allman Brothers cover. So, Greg's job, yeah. Yeah, so they, you know, if Warren Haynes is anywhere in a 30-mile vicinity and doesn't have anything to do, we can get an Allman <laughs> Brothers cover. Um, because he's already there. He's on his way. He does. He'll be there. Um, actually, Someone I will, just I, I gets out a slide and Warren Haynes, like like a bell yeah. goes off above his head. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Said, Warren has had to cancel a bunch of shows recently. He's been he's been unwell. So shout out to Warren and uh, shout out best to wishes. Him. Hopefully he uh, mm-hmm. is better and back on the road soon. Um, I also want to say while I have the floor that I really like Letter to Jimmy Page. And I think this is a good version. And uh, and they, they rip it nicely. Um but I'm with you, Brian. The Skippy the Wonder Mouse is the thing that this show really brings us and that we should keep from this show, um, along with the hood. Uh, it's it's kind of beautiful. And yeah. I, mm-hmm. yeah. I listened to it twice because why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, we all went. Kind of great. It's one of Go the ahead, jams Nick. you can listen to when you can kind of actually get lost and forget yeah. you're listening to early fish and you feel like you're just listening to fish. That's kind of how I felt during the jam. Like Paige comes through, like you can hear Fishman doing these like rolling drums. Trey starts playing these like really high pitched riffs and you can just kind of like you're lost in a jam, which is the first time that I felt that way since I've been listening to these early shows. And is it was exciting. It's it's one of those moments. I mean, we're not going show by show, so like we're we're seeing significant jumps. But like, mm-hmm. it's one of those moments that like it sounds like fish for the first time. You know, you yeah. hear Harry Hurd early in the show. You hear Slave, but like from an improv standpoint, Skippy just gives you that sensation of what, no matter the style, no matter the better 
gear and sound quality and the, the better venue that they're playing in 10, 15 years from now, that whatever happens in that jam is going to be replicated and messed around with for the next 38 years. I mean, it's no Scarlet Fire, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I don't want to go back. I mean, but I will, because in my Do notes, it. the possum and the slave in the beginning, like dog log possum kind of sounds like dog log in the beginning. Um, yeah. but just those two songs, possum and slave, those are RJ's somewhat like deep breath songs. Like he, or sigh songs. Like when he hears them, he's kind <laughs> of, he knows what's going to happen and he doesn't get very excited, but it's funny oh. that they've been around. I mean, possum is one of the most played songs in their history. Right. Yep. But RJ still, especially for me, he's stuck, he stuck I kind of feel that way too, RJ. It's okay. Yeah, especially yes. when I'm there. I always play the it. <laughs> we all and we all know where Slave's Thanks, going, Brad. and it's beautiful and all that. But like, um, I'd rather listen to Hood than Slave. They played Possum mm-hmm. deep in the second set of the worst show I saw last year. One of the worst shows I've ever seen in my entire Fishgone career. Uh, and I, I, I challenged myself with every song that started to be like, okay, find something positive here. <laughs> yeah. And when the glow sticks went off during Possum, I was like. Okay, I get why you guys play possum. Like, if I was in a band and I had like forty thousand people just enraptured with me, I'd probably play a song like Possum too. It's just a lot of fun. It's a song for the first ten rows of a venue. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, when when it's when it's live, it's it's great. But you know, I mean. I don't know if they have to play it so much. They just but. don't make possum like they did in like 94, 95, and 96, which, you know, they don't make a lot of things like they did then. So maybe that's unfair, but it's just the truth. You get those 15-minute possums that just slowly build out of dissonance. Say no more. Well. And they didn't. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean. I, I want to hear. I was just going to say. Go ahead, RJ. Go ahead. But no, no. Well, no. I just want to say I want to hear everybody's final thoughts because we've got another topic, and uh, you know, it's it's like yeah, after true. five o'clock or whatever. And we true, true. Keep Jeff, moving. Keeping us on track. People. I like it. Someday I'll get paid for this. This is a, a very <laughs> professional podcast action. Um, so like let's go around the room. Uh, Brad, you are you are our guest. Maybe you could lead us with your uh, thank you final thoughts. I really of the show. I gave my my um my unique thought in that it reminds me of the 51695 show um in that you get a bunch of new material and it's really exciting to listen to it for the first time um and uh although i appreciate jeff for what he's done i don't you know this this show shows us that we didn't need him for the 40 years just to be just the first few fair fair Archie, do Jeff, you want to follow that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm in now from the uh, waiting room. He's actually backstage. Just a second. I mean, that's, a, that's a fair, incredibly tough, but fair take from Brad. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's cool to hear these originals early on, you know. I mean, we're, we're finally, the first two years that we talked about really were just covers. So it's nice to hear these start to come through. And it's a pretty strong start for for Harry Hood, particularly. Um, and I totally forgot that Prep School Hippie has that kind of jam that reminded me of something, but but not exactly. You know, I had like almost like a little bit of a slave 
like jam going there for a little while, but I don't think it's ever coming back. Um, th- that's my, those are my takeaways. I think watching, saying watching Jerry shake is fat. I think that just kind of makes it a little bit. Yeah, no. You know, I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-mm. That's all. Megan, what, what's You saying? can change lyrics. That's true. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think this is the this is an exciting show. I don't know if I've ever listened to this show before. So for me, this was really awesome to go back and listen to the show and hear Fish kind of creep out. Um, in 1985, there were 29 debuts that Fish did, and 14 of them were original. So if they played around 28 shows, they're playing a lot of new music that they haven't played before, and they're writing a lot of music. So it's an exciting time for them. And you can hear that in the show, and I really love listening to it. That's my takeaway. It's a good takeaway. Brian. Thanks. Yeah. I I think this is the bridge. Like we've 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 heard the band come together, find some mode of connection in the first two shows that we listened to. Obviously, eighty three and eighty four scattered shows. There's a lot happening personally. But this is the moment where the band is realizing at least for the members that we're going to commit to doing this long-term. And so new songs are coming in that sound like fish over the next 40 years, obviously a lot of evolution, a lot of growth, a lot of development, a lot of huge new moments are going to come, but this is kind of the bridge from, okay, fish is a pretty inconsequential college band. Two Fish is a band that everybody is going to be listening to uh, as they discover them, and they're going to want to learn more and more about the band's history, which is probably the reason why people would not only listen to but talk about on a podcast 12.283 and 11.384. I don't think those shows are being discussed in any sort of way without something like this happening a year later as the band's evolving. Right. Uh, I'll build on that, which is to say that this is really the – the linchpin between kind of the early proto fish, which is what we've discussed in the past two episodes and what really fish 1.0 is starting right around here. Yeah. This is where they become the band that we would come to know. And uh, yeah, it's great stuff. Very educational worth listening to. If you're a serious fan and you haven't checked this stuff out, you should, you should listen to it. All right, so we were also going to talk about hoods, but Brian, did did we set parameters? Because I know you probably have a list of like thirty with like some asterisks and some double. We set asterisks. them, but Brian broke them. But what are the so rules? You set the parameters this morning, which I which I followed. So we, we I, I wanted to know what your guys' favorite Harry Hoods were. I figured two would be enough to give us some diversity in conversation here, and then RJ narrowed it down further by said these have to be two that you've seen. Now that well, came I said after me. I already decided. I that did come at like two o'clock or something too, to be fair. No, no, but I said for me, I said for me. I oh, wasn't okay. trying to impose that anymore. So I'm never going to do anything it's, other it's than, a, than that. It's a good imposition. It's, it's good, mm, it's it good to do that. So I came prepared with two that I have not seen that I think are my favorite Harry Hoods ever. And then after your um, aggressive text this morning, <laughs> I added two that oh, I have seen, which I think are, are really good as well. <laughs> Aggressive. So aggressive. Mm-hmm. So that's how I do it. So how do um, how do we want to do this? Do we want to um 
Do you want to just mm-hmm. go around and we can just name one and we can just like kind of go around time. Robin here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Brian, you have yep. the long list. Why don't you start? All right, I'm going to, I'll just read my two that are not shows I attended. Um, 7194 from Raleigh goes a little bit under the radar and has this beautiful, super quiet moment uh, midway through the jam that is just one of my favorite things to return to. Aside from that, it's a very pure version of Hood. And then 731. That's from the man. That's from the man. I just want to say sorry. Not Raleigh. It's from the man. Thank you very the much. Man. They were taking advantage of the acoustics inside of the man. Exactly. Playing that sorry. jam. Sorry to do that. And then someone's going to yell at us. No, no, it's okay. I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> I would rather you yell at me than someone on the internet that I can't yeah. respond to. Uh, and then that. because I am a 2.0 stan, 731, 2003 <laughs> from Camden, New Jersey. It takes the blown out type two Harry Hood approach that started in in earnest in the 2.0 era, and it adds a ton of melody to it. And if you haven't heard it, it's insane, and it blows my mind every time I listen to it. So those are two I haven't seen. You guys can come back to me for the two I have. Somehow seen. never saw a 2.0 Hood. Weird. They were really good. They were really yeah. good. They they were very jammy and and very cool. I can tell you a 2.0 hood that I saw and that Brad saw that was very bad, if you want me to. Actually, two. Which one was two that? in a row. Well, <laughs> Vegas 04. I mean, actually, it's Ugh. pretty good. It's long and weird. But That's a good hood. Just, I know, but you know, you know what I mean. I know, <laughs> and then, and then the Coventry doesn't make you feel hood. Good. The Coventry hood. <laughs> I think Coventry hood is when, when Trey said, That's we're going to play this. Oh, no. and Please we, don't. We, don't gonna, do it. <laughs> Where are we gonna stand on this rock? You guys can go talk about it at the campsite. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, we're so talking bad. about okay, the sorry. good hoods. We're I know. To feel sorry. Good. sorry. Anyways, at least you didn't talk about like being over the mountain in the shed where he wrote. Like he's, he's every night at Coventry. He talked about that. He's like over just over that mountain. What's the podcast about? What's the theme here? Um, all right. Sorry. Brad, <laughs> do you have any hoods for us? Yeah, I just I want to make it, it clear um, that I did not initiate a Coventry conversation today. You so. didn't, Brian. You didn't. Yeah, now we're skipping RJ for the rest of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're banned. Oh man, um, you got to take the bad with the good. So uh, the first one off the top is eight ten ninety seven. It's from Deer Creek, um, and outdoor, just beautiful. It closed the first set. I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I wasn't prepared for this, yeah. by the way. RG just yeah, told me to listen to that, that one set, one set, one set show. And I was like, oh, this will be easy. So this, <laughs> anyway, I remember that it was almost like the bliss jam. Um, RG and I did a little mini run, like four shows that summer. And the bliss jam and to close that first set was like, well, this is so the good. best decision I ever made in my life to come to these shows. Um, Ever. And then there was one uh, from Dick's 18, 2018. I don't remember which show it was, but the Dick's 18 hood was, uh, it sticks out that it was 831. Really good. Yes. That's, the end that's actually yeah. on my list as well. That is, that is mm-hmm. one of my favorite that I've seen as well. That high was five. the first high five. <clears throat> that was the first set one Harry Hood of 3.0, and it came after the curveball disaster it felt like a message the band was sent you can feel good mm. they opened with free and then they went to harry hood and is the only time i've ever shed tears at a fish show 
I had to have a friend Aww. like give me a hug. I was so I was so no. happy and sad and everything all at once. The third one that comes to mind, RJ, and this is my last one, is the one from we saw it um, at the Bill Graham. Did we not see one oh, in yeah. like eighteen at Bill Graham? Twenty eighteen, yeah. And that one hit yeah. you hard, I remember, and that made yeah. me feel because you know I was there with you and it was that was fun. Yeah, that was a really good one. That um, I I forgot about that one. That's a great. That's that one. Seven twenty four, twenty eighteen. That's right. That was really good. I like those. Nice. Well, so two minus from eighteen, up. which is like um, I am a noob, so. <laughs> <laughs> RJ, do you have uh, more to yeah, tell us I, about that aren't Coventry? I have a lot more. Well, I, I do want to say for people who listen to this show and and this this show that we were talking about today, and um, listen to the eleven nineteen eighty seven one, which is obviously two years later, and um, it's just so different. Like Page's piano is really more, much more prominent, and it just kind of underscores how important Page is to that jam when it when it works. Um, so that's one people should check out. I mean, the, all the Fall 94 hoods are so good. But um, I think I've told the story about the one that I saw on January 3rd, 2015 in Miami at the end of set two. That is not, I don't think it's like on any jam charts or anything, but that was that was one of the most most meaningful for me. Um, and there was one at Meriwether, um, I think in 2014, that was really mm-hmm. great, 726-14. Um, I have a lot mm-hmm. of other ones, but... This is, you know, this is up there. This is my second, probably my second favorite song to hear at a fish show. The 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 most recent one. <clears throat> never mind. <clears throat> yeah, I was we'll at that you, uh, that Merryweather show. The uh, Fishnet says, while not as exploratory as some from summer 2014, this hood is by no means typical. Uh, the jam includes great trade licks, rock recording, strong mic, and page, and a solid peak. And uh, I don't remember it at all, but I was there too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw you on the lawn that day. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know if like I was on out. the lawn that day. I think you were either that day. Or one of those shows was the first time that we met. Yeah. Well, how about that in person? Yeah. <laughs> that show was the the night before that massive tweezer fest and gets overshadowed, I yeah. think, for that reason. But it's that second set's no slouch. There's a really good light in there. There's a really good ghost, a really good Karini, and the hood is quite nice. It was a great summer for Harry Hoods. The last hood, sorry, the, the one they played in Mexico last year was also really good. The last night, Sunday night. That was a that was a great end to that Mexico thing. Okay, I'm done. Mexico does you're in the ocean, RJ. It helps. <laughs> Megan, what do you got? Um, I, when you say Harry Hood to me, the thing that I remember first is 1996 because I saw six Harry Hoods that year. And so I feel like I have to talk about that. And the one that is the most memorable is because it's kind of a historic hood. It's the Red Rocks, 8696. It's the first time the hood chant starts. And it's just, it was so amazing to be there. We were like, I've got the flyer and it was such a crazy weekend just with all the things that were going on with it being kind of like everyone coming from dead tour and it being, you know, fish having outgrown this venue and you know, all the like police disturbance in Morrison, there was just so much going on. And this show was just such a comment on that starting with like Makasupa and, and there's just a million things going on in the show. But when, that hood started, it started raining a few songs before the hood and it was raining throughout the whole rest of the set. And 
you know, when it's raining at Red Rocks and you're, you know, 19 and you're on a lot of substances and your life is in front of you and they play Harry Hood and the whole crowd does something for the first time together. And you can like hear the chant build up, like it's loud at first, but then it gets like louder and louder and louder. And it was just, it's just one of those like magical moments I'll never forget. So I feel like even when the band has maybe an off year, they can still create these like incredible moments. So I'll always remember that hood. That's my first one. And the other one is actually the last hood I saw. And it was in, from August 5th, 2022 in Atlantic City. My favorite show. It's a good one. Yeah, it's good. It's my favorite show of the year. The intro is super patient. You've got this like dark, evil synth sounds. The crowd is just going crazy because it was at the end of this like just incredible set, incredible show. And Trey's tone is so beautiful. His solo is perfect. Pages on the piano. It's just one of these like perfect hoods. And I'm just here to wrap 2022 fish because it's so much better than everyone thinks. <laughs> so at the end of it, you even hear Trey say like, thanks everyone. That was really fun. And like say the ocean is love, you know? So it's just, Trey was in his feels during this hood. It was a good time. Nice. Better than it was at the end of a great, great set. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome set of music. Those are good versions. Thanks. So I have two. I'm going to work backwards in time. So, um, although <clears throat> I'll give a shout out to the last one I saw, which was actually 2019, 12, 29, 2019. Cause it's got a really mm. long note. Yeah. Really long note, which is always bad, but, uh, I'm actually going to seven twenty nine twenty seventeen 2017 cinema night, <clears throat> the Baker's dozen, um, that Harry hood was, uh, it was got this great little jam in it. I don't think it's especially long, but great little jam and it's little uh, first there is a mountain mountain jam teases in that from Trey that kind of leads him out of the jam, and yeah. uh, it's a uh, it's a big and beautiful and really good one. Um, most Harry Hoods that I've seen are good at minimum, good. Uh, but then the other one that I want to highlight is uh, 20 years earlier at uh, the Great Went. So 8-17-97, out of the art jam, which is itself great to listen to, even if you weren't there. But if you were there, it was, you know, you, you kind of know what's happening and can visualize this if they had released the box set last summer to mark the 25th anniversary as i had instructed them to do we'd all have watched it and feel like maybe we were there and have soundboard tapes of it but the audience tapes are quite revealing on this hairy hood so uh do uh, listen to them because you can hear you can hear it develop you can hear when, you know, of course, you hear it on the soundboards when Trace tells uh, Chris to turn the lights off so he can look at the moon like they had done at the Gorge earlier in the summer. And they turn the lights off. You see, the, the moon was massive. It was so massive. And then the light sticks started happening, which also happened at the Gorge. Give everybody credit to, you know, because somebody's always like, oh, it happened at the Gorge first. Who cares? It happened at the Great Went, and it was massive. 
and the glow stick war is massive and not and and you can as i say you can hear it developing you could hear people like commenting in the taper section and like wow whoa and and it's huge and the peak plays to it the band plays to the moment and it is it's it's stunning it's stunning bit of music um that I'm getting emotional thinking about. And I just listened to it, you know, this afternoon and you should listen to it too. Um, and then Trey makes the grievous error of telling the audience to go get more of those things, which he's probably still <laughs> regretting. <laughs> oh, that's amazing, Jonathan. <laughs> Thank you for that story. Help. Yeah. It's a good, good one, man. Um, I just want to say that I, I just, I realized today when I was looking back, I haven't seen Harry Hood since MSG in April. I saw a lot of shows, like probably too many shows last year. So it's been almost a year since I've seen Harry Hood. That just doesn't seem doesn't seem fair to, to oh, anyone. Yeah, because you missed that Atlantic City show. <laughs> Sorry, I missed all the. I, I, missed all the... <laughs> I haven't you. seen one uh, since 2019. <laughs> somehow. Wow. Well, which is crazy because it's one of my top five or six songs that I've it's seen. It's really the best, right? That's all right. The next one, the next one will be awesome. That's all I know. Yeah, I saw three um, this year. Three, yeah, you get mm-hmm. you get all the good ones, Megan. That's what that's what I'm happens. A good luck charm, I guess. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this is fun and always fun. Brad, come back again soon. Come back. Yes, again soon. I'm going to. I will. Awesome. Um, yeah. So it's good to see your face and hear your careful what you ask for. Lovely beard <laughs> on the screen with us. And when we Thank come you. back, we, we have to talk about 1986 fish. We're going to jump ahead one more year. It's going to be crazy. You know, we you know we haven't had um, enough of Brian is sports history with these. So maybe maybe next week we can do like some 1986 sporting highlights. You know, for Jonathan. I, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. Us? I can do that. There what was a great World us? Series that year. And, uh, Sorry, you're breaking up. <laughs> RJ, this is such a kind of going into Ryan is literally going to write like an opus about I know. this. That's this why I did it. Boston Celtics put together one of the best basketball seasons in NBA like history. Worms that everywhere year. now. See, he doesn't even <laughs> have to do the research. He just knows it. All right, all right, fine. We'll, okay, thanks everybody. See you next week. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone. Thanks all. Thank you. Bye. radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest 
to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.